Welcome to Puff Talk CS. I'm Chives alongside Steve O. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Chives. How about you? I'm good. The New York Rangers had a recent losing streak. They haven't been the best to start January 2024, a decade since the last time they went to the Stanley Cup final. They had their eyes on the prize this year after a strong start, have a little bit to fix up, and we'll get into all that and news and more here on Puck Talk CS. Love it. What an intro. Let's jump right in. Let's talk some puck. And we got to start, listen, on a positive side of things, because listen, there's a lot. You watch this team the last two weeks, there's not a lot to be happy about. Some certain things, but overall, I mean, it's just been terrible. But we'll get into that. Vincent Trocek, named to the NHL All-Star Game. Listen, he's been a fantastic player. I said this. He was my player last year that I said that he was, you know, I think I don't recall if we said I don't think we said best, but I think most surprised player. He was my player. And listen, he's been fantastic, Chives, across all aspects of the game. You look at it, um, he's been fantastic on faceoffs. I mean, that is an element that we needed to improve on coming into the season. And you look at it on in the games that we really dominate in the faceoffs. I mean, the beginning half, first two months, we were fantastic. And I believe that he's one of the only players in the NHL have more than 40 points and more than 60 hits. So all around, uh, he's, his game is very complete, which I love. Complete game. I love that, Steve. You know why? I think you very rarely see a player like that get anointed into the All-Star Weekend. Now, granted, we all know the history of it. Started in Toronto as a fundraiser for Ace Bailey, who died. It's turned into a you know, the NBA style of like the slam dunk contest. It went through that era. The The format's clearly not working for all the big leagues in the uh, American sports with all-star events. So really it's more of just a, it's an event to really just showcase, show off. It's kind of like a charity thing um, in that sense. And I, I think it's nice to see a player that's earned it step in uh joe mcletty had said it actually before the last home game on the jumbotron you know he and sam rosen talked before the game and he said more than once this is a player that has earned a position to be an all-star and he is a star for this ranger team uh, he's a for all my paisans out there you know we're italian steve-o trocek italian guy you know he has the big dinner whenever they're out there in <laughs> pittsburgh with his home uh, and family and the everybody i talk to is like trocek's my guy and I think that's a good sign if you're the guy in New York amongst a lot of talented players, Shesterkin, uh, Panarin, Zabanejad, Chris Kreider, Adam Fox. You go down the list, the top end talent, and he does it all. And it's something I think Will Cooley is learning from him. He's living with him. It's like his billet family. They play a very similar style, and they're two players that are delivering for the Rangers this year. Yeah, and listen, you, we knew it was not going to be Panarin, even though it should have been hypothetically, but due to his circumstance, it's not going to be. So listen, if it's not going to be Panarin, next man up, it's obviously Trocek. So you got to be happy for him and hope he continues. Yeah, Steve, I wanted to mention too. Let's take a look back now. The Rangers just, just played the Anaheim Ducks' Ryan Strom. steve the deal's got to be paying off in dividends now. There was a toss-up. Do you keep Strom? Do you keep Cop? Or do you bring in Vincent Trocek? And Trocek seemed like a player that was on their radar for a long time. They signed Trocek. And I thought last year he didn't mesh very well with Panarin. And I think that was not the best start in New York for him. He played really well, but I don't think it was the best start in New York you could ask for. Now, what do you think? I mean, compared to what you thought at the time to now. Yeah, obviously, I think any Ranger fan can tell you who who's better and who's lived up to that aspect of the deal. And listen, we knew Ryan Strom wasn't going to be a long-term option here. He just wasn't, again, fantastic player, but just wasn't wasn't the type of player we needed here in New York. He didn't live up to his expectations, and he had flaws. You know, I know that we weren't major, you know, supporters of his here on the podcast, or at least I wasn't. Um, but at the time, he kind of fit uh, – the position that we we needed, but obviously we knew that, you know, it wasn't a long-term scenario. And again, going back to Trocek last year, I thought he wasn't as complete as he was last year than he is now. Um, he's improved on a lot of his aspects of his game, but what he's done is he's been able to learn in that first year last year. And he's been able to kind of transition to the things that he needed to improve on. 
and take that into this year and improve and make it better and make it more of a complete game. Uh, and I listen, I love his aspect. He's been very physical. He's been scoring any opportunity we need to him. He's been better on the forecheck. Again, all aspects. Uh, and, of course, he's fast as hell. I mean, he really is. When you watch him, you know, I was watching him fly up and down the ice in that Carolina game. He's a fast guy. Um, but, again, those are all elements that we needed him to bring together. And I think, quite frankly, uh, we made the right move. We made the right move. I don't think there's any debate on that. Philip Heedle was in that 2C role. He was the Rangers' second-line pivot, and Heedle is now on his way back to the United States in a report from Emily Kaplan that surfaced last night. So with Philip Heedle returning, the conversation, I think, starts, and it also starts with the fact that the Rangers are playing in San Jose. Um, With Philip Heedle's return, does he come back this year? We could speculate, but it's just a good sign that he's coming back, right? And he's going to be in New York. It seemed like when he went back to Checky, it was going to be a longer term thing. And it's been a few weeks and he's already ready to return. He trained with the army or Yager. He's trained with the mental health and hockey coach. So I think the progress and all the signs are there and it's good. It, it's just taken a long period of time to ensure that he's in good health, right? For sure, and I'm what really curates uh, me. And Laviolette, you know, said in one of his answers that you know this was a new approach, you know, in in terms of what went into his rehab into coming back. Um, and again, you know, I'm curious into that fact. Um, we'll probably never find out. Um, but just that he's coming back. I mean, you can't expect him to, you know, to be right inserted back into this lineup you know within the next two to three weeks that i don't really see happening but it is encouraging um and i really think that this could really um alter kind of the plan that jury has in place for the trade deadline for sure Mm -hmm. um depending on what his timetable is and i think once he gets back and the rangers evaluate and sit down they'll have a better timetable of when he's going to return um so i definitely think Listen, you know, once he's healthy and obviously when he comes back, he's not going to be 100 percent ready to go. But uh, again, he's somebody that we missed. You know, we missed Kako. We missed Kako was interesting. Well, I'll touch on that later. Um, but Hedl is definitely a player, you know, we missed, especially looking at that Vegas game games the LA game games where just offensively we've had nothing. So um, it's that certainly promising uh, for Hedl to come back. Yeah, and he becomes an addition from within, right? Like he automatically adds to your team. Seven goals in that conference final run. He put up 22 goals, 23 assists, 45 points in 22-23 last season. He put up six assists in 10 games played this season before going down. He's now 30-plus games he's missed since November 2nd when he was hit by Esper Foss, suffered an upper body injury, and he signed that 4 by 4.4 March 29th 2023 so the fact that they just signed him right it seemed like a deal that would become a steal at a point right maybe not a steal in the same you know I I don't know if you could classify it as that but it's something that the deal looks better as the term goes on right like if he's signed by 4.4 and he keeps growing well you're in a good spot for a few years same with Alexi Lafreniere right now Lafreniere is kind of making less than what he's producing and making on a deal that at least for this year and next year, will save the Rangers as a bridge. So uh, I'm really excited to know um, what's going on with that. And uh, Arthur Staple even had stated, I think Brooks as well had stated that, um, you know, it's probably going to be sooner than later. He may even start skating with the team before the All-Star break. So that would be within the next two weeks. Huge news for the New York Rangers that, like you said, trade deadline's coming up, you know, he automatically checks off 3C role, right? Like I think when he comes back, he would probably play in the in the third line center position. And with that, just want to touch quickly upon the fact that the Rangers play in San Jose, Steve. Former third round pick Anthony Duclair, 2013 draft, had to find his way in the NHL and has. He contributed to the Florida Panthers Stanley Cup final run with four goals and seven assists in their 20-game run last spring. Signs with the San Jose Sharks team that he knows is going to struggle. Has eight goals, eight assists in that 
in this season in 42 games uh, for 16 points. And his maximum skating speed, according to NHL Edge, is 23.32 miles an hour. He's in the 96th percentile. So he's a speed guy. And this is what I envision. Imagine a world where Phil Heedle comes back and you go and acquire Anthony Duclair for help at right wing. I mean, is anyone complaining? I feel like that changes the whole identity of the third line. Yeah, obviously there's a big question mark with Hito in there, but I'll raise a different uh, element to this situation. And I'll, I'm going to toss a question back uh, at you in a second, so be prepared. But um, listen, I, he's only on pace, what, to get 30 points this year? And obviously this isn't his best, his best year. And quite frankly, this might be his worst year. Uh, in the league and again he's not playing on a, a talented Sharks team I mean this Sharks team is highly uncompetitive uh, quite frankly they were competitive against us when when we played them and uh, hopefully that's not the case when we play them again uh, but listen the element to that the element in Duclair's game that might be an issue is five on five play that I that I've seen this year and you could toss that up in that, you know, you know what, you know, the Sharks are just not a five-on-five five play. It's not him. It's the system. Um, but Duclair struggled on five-on-five five play this year. And that's also an area that we struggle with as well. So do we want to add a player that, you know, is struggling to an element that our overall game, we're struggling as well, you know? So I'll toss it back to you. Do you think – do I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do know the last time I looked at them, they were not good. Duclair's numbers five on five. Do you, would you want to go out and acquire a player that is struggling uh, in an element that overall as a team we are struggling with uh, right now? Or do you think it's just, listen, the system in San Jose is just not competitive hockey? Yeah, I think we talked about news. We just talked about some of the news that's going on in the Rangers world. And I think it is time to rip off the bandaid. They haven't been good in January. They haven't been good down this stretch. Now, since January 1st, the Rangers on the power play have seven goals, five versus four. So that's on the power play. That's ninth in the NHL. Great penalty kill 74.1% on the PK since January 1st. That's 26th in the NHL and five on five, 29 29 goals for that's 16th in the NHL and 20 goals, five on five. So that's 16th in the NHL. Um, my apologies, 29 goals in that time span. So with that, I think that is a very valuable question to raise because Duclair plays 15 minutes a night. I'm assuming he, I mean, if he, if he were to ever come into the fold in New York, he would not be earning power play time. If, you know, at least on power play one, um, I think a player like Alexi Lafreniere would earn the look over him. Maybe Capo, Caco, if you want a player that's like more of a puck possession playmaker um, with the first power play. If you're even, you're that first power play unit's not getting shuffled, right? Good question, though, Steve. I think uh, it's interesting. What about his game to you? It doesn't stand out five on five production or just the way he's playing. I think his puck movement has been down just in general these last couple of years. Uh, I found I found out I got just pulled up these stats here. So Anthony Duclair uh, on five on five, and this is per sixty minutes of play for a season. So in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two season, his primary shot assists he averaged around twelve. Twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, he averaged around fifteen. This year, he's averaged around five. Uh, his rush shots. In 2021-2022, he was averaging around 12. Last season, he was averaging around 15. This year, he's only averaging around 3. Controlled entries. Uh, He had 13 two years ago. He had 19 last year. This year, he only has 8. I'm not going to look at scoring chances and those numbers because, again, uh, the Sharks are an uncompetitive team, and they're obviously not a playoff team. They have their flaws in that sense but listen i'm not gonna go through all these stats but it's it's evidently clear that he's taking fewer shots this year he's driven to quality areas of the ice less this year um and listen those numbers are concerning but he might work 
he might work. I'm kind of with you in the sense that he's definitely a player that we should look at. Um, obviously, with the skill level you've seen 2022, 2023, and 2021, and when he was with Florida, and when he's in a system that that is supposed to work, and ours is supposed to work, even though it's not working right now, um, you can see the positives that he brings to his game. And I think that there is uh, a, an ability where he can turn around and create off-the-rush chances that I do like that he brings to the table. Um, so, again, I was just bringing these up to play devil uh, devil's advocate but i think it's clear that his consistency this season is not there but given the season aside there is there is obviously no doubt that he has the skill there that could obviously fit pretty well for us so that's definitely an option that jury is is going to look at uh for sure yeah now here's where i like duclair's game i think he's really good off the rush and i think that's something that the rangers need in someone to be able to back check, to be responsible and to be able to chip in, right? You don't need a third line guy to produce like crazy, but he's 28 years old. I also think part of it is that he's not like he, of every story I've seen from Max Miller, the hockey news, he's a reporter for the Sharks is that he's mentoring, but I also don't think he's a player that should be in a position to necessarily be mentoring at 28 years old, young, one of the faster players in the league. He should be on a cup contending team, driving a team to the Stanley Cup, being on a third line of a New York Rangers, being on a third line of the Boston Bruins. That's what he was in Florida. Florida won the President's Trophy and had one of the highest goal production rates ever in NHL history. And then the next year, they're kind of counted out. They bring him back at Chuck, and he helps lead them to the cup, and he was a crucial part of that. So I, I do think part of that's his role in San Jose, and I think that transition game is something the Rangers are having a problem with this outside of the second line. And I think they could use him as a compliment either on the first line or in a third line, right wing position. And, and that's my case for Duclair. I love your take on that right there. I mean, that obviously that plays to what I just said about his numbers being uh, on the decline this year. And listen, mm -hmm. if we're going to use him and approach him, the player that he was with Florida, I think he works great in the system Chavs. I mean, when he's not relied on to be the primary player on the line, I think that's that's what we need him for. And I think that's when he's at his best, when he's counted on to help drive offensive plays uh, with puck, uh, puck control within uh, our zone. And then, of course, the neutral zone. I think he's great off that. And I think that. You know, when you pair him with a strong four checker that makes plays to extend, you know, possession time, which I think we definitely do have some dogs that do that on our team. I think he's fantastic. I think he should work uh, pretty well, but we cannot rely on him to come in and be, you know, the offensive player to drive change because that's not going to happen. And we could, we'll jump into some of those issues that we're having right now. But uh, I love that take. I love it. I mean, how would we feel about a Will Cooley, Phil Heedle, Anthony Duclair type of line, right? I'll tell you, Steve-O, I think this is an issue that the Rangers are having, and I want to ask you, what is your opinion about the third line? Uh, we know the situation the first line's in, and despite that, Kreider and Zbigniew are still producing well. Uh, the second line, untouched, I mean, they're one of the best offensive lines in the NHL. The third line, I have questions and reserves about because I think the fourth line, when they when they are able to be in full and there's no, the, you know, the injuries are all kind of dwindle away and it's pit like good draw VC. I love the way they shut down and generate offense on the forecheck. The one soft spot I think this team has is the third line and every team needs a third line to win a Stanley Cup. So Steve-O. Third line, Will Cooley, they came up big in Anaheim. But on this, in the last stretch, with the rotation of Benino, Brodzinski, what has your opinion been about their identity? This is, I think, our main issue right now. Um, and there's a lot. You just mentioned that game against Anaheim. Quite frankly, yeah, I'm happy that we they were able to show up. But um, quite frankly, Anaheim is not a good team. Um, so... At the same time, uh, we shouldn't have even been in that situation in the first place. And that first that first period, uh, first two periods was kind of hard to watch. Um, you know, 
on all aspects of the game. But again, this third line, and I know that you, in the first month and a half, you know, you brought a lot of, uh, you brought a very interesting uh, view on this line, you know, uh, whether it's Brosnitsky in there, uh, whether we had, you're moving Benino up, having Blake Wheeler in there, obviously Will Cooley. And I think Will Cooley's been awesome this year. I think we could both agree on that. And I don't think that he's a problem on this line. I'm going to turn towards players like uh, Tyler Pitlick. I'm not, I kind of changed my stance on him. I'm not big on Tyler Pitlick. I don't think, um, yeah, obviously he's a role player and he's not what's wrong with this team. But he's not the solution either, and neither is Johnny Brosnitsky. Um, I know that you were, you kind of liked him. What you, what was your nickname for him? Johnny Broadway. Johnny Broadway. Well, <laughs> quite frankly, Johnny Broad Broadway is not the solution to I think the the equation either. Again, I don't hate him, but um, you know when this team is struggling, and you take a look at it, let's let's break it down. Let's take the Kings game, for example. You know, we lose two to one. You know, you could evaluate that game in a couple different ways, Chives. And obviously, I think the main thing for us is we didn't generate enough scoring chances. You know, obviously, we we, a lot from was able to tip one in. Um, But listen... You know, aside from Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere, I think those have been the big three in terms of production this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, who do we count on for a spark? And I don't think, again... You can't look at that fourth line in terms of an offensive spark. That's not their role. Tyler Pitlick, um, Jimmy Vesey, these guys are not there for offense. That's not their identity. You know, So that kind of brings me back to your question, the identity of this third line. What is their identity? Because I feel like you know the way that some of these, these lines are being shuffled in and the way that the third line is performing – I can't really pinpoint what their identity is because on some, some nights, you know, I want to say it's something else. And then on, on, on other nights when Panarin, you know, Panarin's line is not cooking, uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, maybe we need to, we're relying on them to provide a spark, but that's really not their identity. I don't see, you know, Johnny Broadway as somebody that's going to be creating that spark. Um, so again, I, I definitely think, we have an issue with that third line. And I do have a question for you, but I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, I think Brodzinski, um, I like him a lot. I like what he brings. Um, I like the energy he brings. Uh, he's got a scorer's touch. They put him in his position to succeed, and he has. Um, I don't view him as a player that's just a fill-in until they acquire someone else. To me, Brodzinski has brought more to the table than a player of Blake Wheeler. Um for a majority of the season, Capo Caco, and you know I'm a big Caco guy, um, just in terms of his game, what he brings, how unique and different it is. It's a three-dimensional game. But I think Brodzinski's brought more over the course of his stint here since Heedle went down and Caco was injured right November 2nd and November 27th. And, um, yeah, I, I with that, though, I also find – Part of that has to do with the center position. You, you have Nick Benino there, and now you have shifted Brodzinski in there. Um, they're missing the center on that line, and the center a lot of the time is dictating play. He's controlling that middle lane of the ice. And you saw when Heedle went down, you had Trocheck to replace him, and you literally had a 2C to replace the 2C. Like you had a guy way more than capable of stepping up into that position. And with the third line, you don't. And on top of that, you have question marks with Blake Wheeler, and you have an AHL top scorer on that line. And I love the way Brodzinski's played, but that's also who he is, that he's the captain of the Hartford Wolfpack. So at the end of the day, I think that line is impacted the most. And like you're saying, there's an identity of the other three lines. Even with the first line not fully there yet, um, you want them to peak later on anyway. You want Chris Kreider and Mika's advantage head to get hot going into the playoffs. You never know if that'll happen. That's what you're hoping for based on the way the season's gone. Relying a lot on the second line in transition offense, fourth line shut down, create on the four check, third line, not sure. And part of that's going to be with the news with Phil Heedle. And I think that's what makes the news exciting about Phil Heedle. But for now, it also makes a lot of questions with the trade deadline. Um, and I think sometimes you you also don't necessarily want that. You want a guy to internally come in and kind of levy that and, you know, put it to rest, you know, just keep it status quo and um, 
quiet the noise because I think right now there is a lot of noise in the Ranger fan community as to what's going on there. Will Cooley's a staple on that line. I just wrote for the Hockey News. Like, he's the quintessential third liner, and he's a player that can help you win the Stanley Cup. He's probably one of the more prominent forwards on the team, and he made the team out of camp this year. So, I agree with that. And that's why I said, you know, in my opening remark uh, on this point that, you know, Cooley is, is staying. I think he's been fantastic. And when you look at his expectation, He's exceeded that on every level. So I think he's a mainstay as well. I'm gonna, I'll am i touch upon a guy that I didn't just touch upon that you mentioned, Blake Wheeler. Um, what is his expectation moving forward? Because he really has not lived up to it. And I know, and we weren't the only ones in the offseason. I think we gave Blake Wheeler in our offseason grade, uh, I don't recall, maybe like a B plus or an A minus. Uh, that's uh, he's been in a, like a low tier C C minus, you know, approaching the bottom tier rankings. I mean, he has just not been uh, the intended thought when we brought him in this year. And I think, you know, the question is when addressing this third line, what is his role? Cause he's bounced around like a ping pong ball this season chives. What is the identity for him? Yeah, you know, I really see if they acquire a player at the deadline that he becomes your extra skater in the playoffs. And I think at this point, that's a healthy spot to be. I think it's a role he can take on. He's a veteran. Um, He's going to compete every night to be in the lineup. But I just think right now um, he's not producing enough. Right. And it's it's it was a low. Low risk move because the team just didn't have the capital to sign another right wing or trade for another big market right wing. Um, With that said, I think that's a positive way to look at it, especially moving forward. But the reality is, you know, something I'm also gaining the sense of is that the Kraken win, Wheeler scores two goals. They have a really good shift. Um, Adam Fox praised them after the Anaheim game. So did LaViolette. I even if they start producing a little bit more, I just don't think they're a Stanley Cup winning third unit. Um, I don't think they're third. You know, we just talked about that at length, and he's part of that. He contributes to that. And he's also contributed to how, you know, I don't think Kreider and Zibanejad have played to their peak, and I think part of that's because they need a complementary winger. And now you've seen more than once this season, he's shuffled off that line and shuffled back on and shuffled off. And, you know, the hop between the first right wing spot and the third right wing spot, he's played some fourth line minutes too on the fourth line. I think not really knowing where he fits into the lineup affects a, a few other things. And I don't think it's like a heavy statement to say that. I don't think it's, I don't think that, you know, that remark has anything heavy attached to it. Um, it's not like it's got an anchor sinking the team into the ocean. And it's also not pointing everything at his situation. It's just, you know, with the first line right wing spot, the third line right wing spot, who's the player playing in those positions? And why does the third line not have an identity? And why does the first line right wing spot seem to be a rotating door? Because if he was solidified, it, we, this wouldn't be the conversation or the discourse. And that's just the reality of it. So I do think... Moving forward, what they'll probably do is come around trade deadline time. They're probably they're got to look for something. You can't settle with what you have right now. And I think he's a really he is a leader. Was a captain of a team. Is he going to compete as an NHL skater to stay in the lineup? A hundred percent. Um, and he has that compete within him. He he has the the skill level. It's it's diminished, but it's there. I just think right now he'll be better serve the team as kind of like what Jonathan Quick was in Vegas, a veteran goaltender. You bring him in. He plays a little bit down the stretch. Guy goes down. You know, he can fill in for game here and there. And come playoff time, he'll be a black ace. And I think for his contract and for what he's shown across 40 games this season, that's how it's going to be. You, you mentioned it, you know, come playoff time, he could be, or come trade deadline time, he could be the odd man out. And eventually when we come to the playoffs, man, that is a huge, uh, the complete opposite, 
you know, of what we thought his role would be coming into the season. I mean, it's been a yep. huge disappointment. And I, quite frankly, I think uh, when you look at disappointment so far this season, I think that Blake Wheeler is definitely up top, up top that list. Um, uh, paired with Blake Wheeler, you could put Phil Hito up there as well. You know, obviously we had high expectations for him coming in, especially right off the bat. It was made clear that LaViolette was going to set this tone uh, with the younger guys, with Lafreniere and Hedo. And Lafreniere came out and did it. And unfortunately, Kako got knocked down at one point, and Hedo too. That's That kind of stinks. Now, you mentioned Kreider and Zabanejad. Now, LaViolette uh, against the Ducks, shuffling these lines. The team was down 2 nothing on Sunday. It was ugly. We couldn't get anything going. Capo Kako seemed like he was the odd man out. I think he only played like eight minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um now, Laviolette, of course, didn't go into the reasons why he was, quote-unquote, benched, you could call it. Um, but maybe this is a hint that the Laviolette doesn't feel like Kako is the right person alongside Kreider and Zibanejad, trying to get them uh, a spark to get going here. Do you think, Chives, that Laviolette in that last game is saying, you know what, maybe Kako isn't the fit for Zibanejad and Kreider? Yeah, I think something that is interesting and I've seen towed around on the internet is moving Trocek up and Zibanejad down, which isn't even an up and down move because one, I think they're playing really producing similarly. And I think second to that is that the first and second line, they've been interchangeable for years. It's not a first and second line. It's just like the D pairs, right? Like no matter which one's out there, they're a first line caliber uh, trio and I think it would be a good move maybe to get Trocek and Kreider some looks I like the chemistry they had for some stints last season um, and I liked what they've shown in the past with each other and I think you got to get Zibanejad going uh, I, I don't think it's a matter of Kako to be honest with you um, I think <laughs> my apologies he he was the it was a result of penalty kill power play uh, time that he was shifted off the ice. Um, and with that, I, I think could, it, I don't think it's hinting towards anything, but I do think it's also brings up the conversation that if Kaka was sitting for that time and there were a lot of penalties, there were like six penalties in that period. And he was the odd man out because there's penalty kills and power play and he's not on the power play unit and Zabanjad and Kreider are there penalty killers as well so now they're not going to be skating at even strength so now cat goes out there with different guys um i totally see what laviolette said with that and trust in that but i also think there's no other side of that conversation if their line is producing well or if like fans really felt that Kreider and sabanishad are driving the bus and i think that has been a problem all year i wouldn't say a a a list this must be addressed problem but i do think it's something that along the course of the year i don't think anyone has stated that chris Kreider and mika zibanejad have uh really driven the bus in terms of production or those big moments not knocking their play by any means i think zibanejad's a point per game center um Kreider has on a scoring run that we'll probably see him pop 40 or close to 40 like he did last season I, I've just felt that the 21-22 season and for points last season, uh, those two were the guys um, tr- kind of driving the bus for the team. And um, I've said this before on the podcast, I think it comes down to – I think it's their responsibility because I think Kako is not a player that you can expect right now to just take his game from here to here, right? We saw with Lafreniere, it takes time, right? So – um, yeah, I don't think it's a matter of trying some new things out, but I wouldn't be shocked if in the next week we maybe see a shuffle up. I know that would uh, be a big change, but I'd like to see if uh, maybe a new look just to get those guys boosted and uh, started, even if it's just in the middle of a game. Move Trocek up, move Zibanejad down to play with Lafreniere and Panarin and move Trocek and his game fits and meshes well with Kreider. So I know that was a long uh Long response, Devo, but I want to know what you think because uh, now that Cat goes back, I think he's looked good. I like his game. I like what he brings, um, but I know that's not in the same vein as the rest of the Ranger community. So, I, I 
listen, I think the take was spot on, you know, and this might be the best time to move Trocek. You know, obviously we mentioned not the fact that he's made the all-star game, but he's playing such a complete game at such a high level right now, all aspects of the game. Maybe that's a play you want to slot up and move up, you know, maybe try and move Zibanejad down and and see what, if he gets someone cooking there, you know, and obviously there's no doubt that Trocek could play on the top line. Um, but I want to throw this stat at you, Chives. You know, in a in a regular season game where Kreider and Zibanejad both scored a goal, the Rangers are 42-11-6. There's no doubt that when when these two guys, you know, you know, you could call them our two of our top, you know, three guys on this team, four guys on this team, when they score and they run the table, I mean, we are a hard team to beat, you know, and I think that's what makes our fourth line, especially you could throw our third line in there, you know, when Zibanejad and Kreider take over these games, it makes our third line, their job so much easier. And I think that could be part of the issue why this third line is struggling is because the top line isn't, I don't want to say they're not doing their job, but they've been very inconsistent, you know, and compared to past years, Zibanejad and Kreider are not taking over games. I mean, when was the last time uh, this year that you could think of that Zibanejad and Kreider have taken over a game. See? I'll so, say, yeah, I'll say probably the Boston game and like post Thanksgiving, maybe flyers. They played the flyers uh, around then too. Yeah. And that was over two months ago. So that doesn't play into our fact. And again, that makes our third line work harder. It also makes our third line. It kind of changes their identity a little bit because they have to, compensate of what we're missing and again maybe we're asking the third line to do some something that they're not equipped to do that's not their role and that's not their identity in this team and maybe that's kind of an element that you know we have to address but i do agree with you that this third line you know is a problem we cannot roll the dice with blake wheeler he's giving you some good performances here and there you mentioned that cracking game but for me and i'm sure you and all other ranger fans listening that's not a staple of confidence to move forward, especially towards the playoffs. I don't want to take that gamble because let's be honest, quite frankly, Blake Wheeler, 90% of his games, 85% of his games this year has been ineffective, you know, and he's made a lot of sloppy mistakes. He just looks slow out there, you know, so I don't want to take that risk. And I, I, I agree with you. I think if we were able to acquire, let's get Hedo back and let's, Let's see who Drury brings in, if it's somebody on the wing, if it's a center, you know, for the bottom six. Let's see who he brings in. And I quite, quite frankly, I agree. When you look at everybody's role, um, Wheeler might be the odd man out um, for sure. But in terms of that, Kreider and Zibanejad, um, I think we have to get them going uh, at some point this season. You want to see it. And, and again, there's just something – it's just not there, Chives, this year. You know, you see that pop with Kreider and Zibanejad. You know, I just haven't seen them, you know, jump, you know, jump in and take over a game. You just haven't seen it. I agree, and I think that's something that's actually been a problem for the Rangers overall. Uh, at the time you're listening, I'm sure the San Jose Sharks game. Listen, that's either a game that's like, you know, by the time you listen, they either won or they lost in the world's ending. But with that, Steve Alquette on MS, MSG said that every week there is going to be at one game where the Rangers, it's a big game. And I found that fans, the most they react is to that big game. The smaller ones here and there, okay, run of the mill, um, Vancouver, Vegas. There's games lately that the Rangers have lost that have started a lot of discourse. And that game this week, again, is going to be against Vegas on Friday at home. We have a special guest, Dan Diuba, of the Vegas Golden Knights Radio to break that game down a little bit, to do a little bit of a preview, and to talk about what's going on with Vegas since the last time the Rangers met them last Thursday. Puck Talk CS has a very special guest to introduce, a Jersey boy like your own here on the podcast, Dan Duva. Vegas Golden Knights Radio, Syracuse and Fordham alum, covered the Syracuse crunch when 
some of the Tampa Bay Lightning's top players were there. Fortunate enough to be in Vegas to witness a Stanley Cup. Dan, how are you doing today? Matthew, Steve, I'm terrific. A pleasure to be with you. Thanks. I love the voice. Uh, I, I think any of our listeners will recognize it, especially um, because the Rangers played out there just last week. A lot of what we're talking about today will be geared towards that. But I do want to hear a little bit about that story you were just telling us about with George McPhee, I believe, bringing the Stanley Cup to West Point. George is here. Kelly McCrimmon is here. And the uh, you know George McPhee, people forget, was a hell of a tough hockey player, was with the Rangers, uh, was with the Devils. And it was Lou Lamarillo who encouraged George to get his law degree at Rutgers in Newark. And then that started his journey into uh, hockey management. And the um, first job was with the Canucks as the assistant GM of the Syracuse Crunch when they started in 1994. Fast forward all these years later, and George tells the owner of the Syracuse Crunch, Howard Dolgan, hey, I think your guy Dan is in a good spot for that play-by-play -play opening we have. <laughs> so, so those connections from the early 90s, and my first job was with the Devils organization, so the Lamarillos have been good to me, uh, George McPhee has been good to me, and then I think that George was in a good spot when he was hired by Bill Foley, the Golden Knights owner. Uh, Bill was um, not in sports, but he knew a lot of people in hockey. And when he got the expansion franchise, he targeted George McPhee, who at that point had been let go by Washington, was helping out with the Islanders. And boy, what a perfect choice it was for Bill Foley to make George McPhee initially president and now, uh, excuse me, initially general manager and now president of hockey operations. So Bill Foley is a West Point graduate. And uh, he is very proud of that. Everywhere you go in the Golden Knights practice facility, there are Douglas MacArthur quotes and references to the military history of our country. That's and cool. Bill has been very generous in donating to West Point. There's a building named after him there. So uh, Bill has brought the team, the Stanley Cup, management coaches, folks to West Point to show them around. And uh, I believe Bill Foley even wrote a letter of recommendation for Keegan Colasar's brother, Keegan Colasar, who plays for the Golden Knights, to go to West Point. So he's very proud of his alma mater. Uh, but Bill Foley is, um, you know, he's the guy who said playoffs in three, cup in six. Well, they made the playoffs in one, but they made the cup in six. That is truly incredible. I think something that uh, we don't have the opportunity a lot to talk with is Western Conference teams, broadcasters, yeah. writers, we were so stuck in this metropolitan vacuum because of how good the divisions become uh, for the New York Rangers and their opponents. Now, with that, I want to start off with talking about what's something that fans outside of Vegas should not only know, but fear about this Vegas Golden Knights team. A lot of the conversation has been about a potential back-to-back -back Stanley Cup final berth. A lot of people, I talked to Dan Rosen a lot in the box at MSG uh, at Press Row, and he says there's not many teams that can compete with them. So what's one thing that stands out to you that people should know but also fear? The things that are troubling, for example, the New Jersey Devils, since the Knights just played the Devils and lost 6-5 in overtime, compared to the same things troubling the Golden Knights, how do you respond to injuries? Vegas is its captain, Mark Stone, you know, had two back surgeries in a year. Uh, you know, right now Vegas is without Jack Eichel, without William Carlson, without Shea Theodore. If you were to make a list of the players you would least want uh, out of the lineup, those would be among the three. They got Aiden Hill back after missing 25 games. And he, of course, was the goaltender who won the Stanley Cup last year. But when you're without your top players, the foundation is revealed. And so the Golden Knights are succeeding. They've got points uh, now in, in five straight, 4-0 and 1. They, uh, they are doing it without those guys. And it reveals how fundamentally sound they are, frankly, how good of a coach Bruce Cassidy is, and the experienced guys, the leadership there. They can be fundamentally sound. They don't have to win flashy. They often do, but they don't have to. And, you know, the Devils, you know, Lindy Ruff has talked about, as an example, you know, the Devils being as young as they are, they do have injuries, of course, but they have to find different ways to play and different ways to win because they're without so many guys. The Golden Knights don't do that. They are good regardless of whether Jack Eichel, William Carlson, Shea Theodore are in there or not. 
That's what's scary. They are good right now. They have been in first place much of the year. They teetered a little bit, but they have figured things out, even with some absent players. So if you've got a great structure, and you think about those guys who are all expected to return at some point, those are like trade deadline acquisitions. Boy, that is what's scary, that this team could be better than they are right now, and those players would theoretically be rested to go into a long postseason run, like, for example, Mark Stone was, Aiden Hill was. Those guys were injured for the second half of last year, and then they had great postseasons. Now, you just mentioned some of those injuries. Can you go a little bit more in depth in terms of who stepped up for these players and some of the lineup changes that the Knights have? Jonathan Marcheseau, so the Conn Smythe winner, has, to me, been uh, the most impressive, not only because he's you know on pace for a new career high in goals, but he's as fiery and as vocal and as passionate about the game as anyone I've ever come across. He was undrafted. He played for Patrick Waugh with the Quebec Remparts and credits Patrick for making him the person and the player that he has become. Jonathan said that, I thought I liked hockey, and then I met Patrick Waugh. And their relationship was uh, volatile, but mutually beneficial. So Jonathan loves Patrick Waugh, very close friends uh, with his sons, in particular Frederick. And Jonathan's spark at his dynamic with Bruce Cassidy. Jonathan and Bruce can yap at each other, but they all know it's for the betterment of the team to the degree that Jonathan has said in coaching his own little kids that he actually uses Bruce Cassidy as an example for himself on how to coach his kids. So if you see Bruce and Jonathan yelling at each other on the Golden Knights bench, they might really be fired up, but they have a huge mutual appreciation. That's what's fun about that dynamic. And he leads the team in goal scoring. Mark Stone has been so impressive. He's a point per game. And that's, um, you know, overtaken Jack Eichel now, the team lead in scoring. So those guys have stepped up. Of late, you know, Nicholas Watt is playing in Jack Eichel's spot between Ivan Barbashev and Jonathan Marshes. So Nick Watt was a Calder Cup champion in the American League for Charlotte. Vegas got him in the Eric Halla trade a few years ago. And he's been a fourth-line center has had spot duty up in the lineup, but in the last two nights games against the Devils and the Islanders, he's got five points combined and he's been great in the faceoff circle, a terrific penalty killer. And when he's confident, you got to watch out. It is some of the best hockey we've seen from Nick Watt. You might remember he scored that big overtime goal in Montreal during the playoffs a couple years ago. Uh, he can step up and he's been a little streaky, but as he's gotten older and figured out how to be more consistent, I think that Nick Watt has been one of those guys truly stepping up for the team. And those are the guys who come to mind. There are others. Uh, there are guys up from the American Hockey League who have filled roles, and they're just um, trying to keep the ship afloat, play structured, responsible hockey until those other guys I mentioned return to the lineup. Now with that, there's been a lot of complimentary player additions that helped the team win the Stanley Cup. One of them notably a former New York Ranger, Brett Howden. But I want to know, for players like Ivan Barbashev, Chandler Stevenson, Howden, what in Vegas in such a short amount of time period has allowed players like that to develop and flourish? Like what was set up maybe at the start or the dawn of the franchise that's allowed players to step in and develop and almost take their game to another level? I think a lot of clubs struggle with that and they've been around for a long period of time one of those clubs, the New York Rangers. So what's allowed players to go to Vegas and, like you mentioned with Nick Waugh, take their game to another level? It's a great point, Matthew, because growing up in New York, you think about the big trade line acquisition, the superstars, whether it's in hockey or baseball, you can go through it all. And, you know, people in New York want the superstar. The Golden Knights have acquired a couple of those. Alex Petrangelo, cup champion captain in St. Louis, He's a horse. He might not be the guy who wins the Norris every year, but he ought to probably get more consideration than he does because he can put offense first if he needs to. On the Golden Knights, he doesn't need to, but he does put defensive hockey first and the number of minutes he plays. He doesn't have to play 25 minutes. He can. You know, they've moved him to the second power play because they don't need him on the first power play, and it doesn't matter to him. He's just a great leader an experienced guy who's great in the room, a great family guy. So he's a star. Jack Eichel is a star. But 
you mentioned Ivan Barbashev. You mentioned Chandler Stevenson. Now, Ivan, yes, had won the Stanley Cup with the Blues a few years back, but the Knights didn't have somebody of his pedigree, someone who was physical, tough, but also has the skill to be a top-line player. And what do you know? He's there with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marcheseau, and he made Riley Smith expendable. The Golden Knights and their fans love Riley Smith, an original Golden Knight, but uh, with his age and contract, the Knights needed to find some calorie, uh, salary cap space to keep Ivan Barbashev and sign him to an extension. That was a tough choice to make, but the Knights didn't have somebody like Barbashev. They didn't have somebody like Chandler Stevenson, who was acquired from Washington, again, cup champion, beat Vegas in 2018, but then the Knights got him. I remember talking with Jay Beagle, who had been a line mate with uh, Chandler Stevenson on that cup team in Washington, and uh, I asked him, did you think that Chandler would turn into this great all-star type player, you know, point-per-game type of guy uh, with the Golden Knights. And he said, oh, I knew it back in Washington. I just didn't tell anybody because then they would take him off of my line. <laughs> so Jim McKenzie is a Golden Knights scout. He had seen Chandler and Hershey. I remember seeing Chandler and Hershey in the American League. And you could see he had this incredible speed and incredible lower body. But could he put it together at the NHL level? And uh, Jim McKenzie saw something there. And so the Knights got him, you know, for pennies on the dollar, essentially. Um, and he has just blossomed into this guy. So the, the theme in all of this, going back to the start of the franchise, players who were deemed expendable by their clubs, for whatever reason, let them come to Vegas. And that's where the misfit mentality came to life. The team created that. The players created that. Not the front office, not the marketing department. It was James Neal, an original Golden Knight had the group chat with all the players, and they named the group chat Golden Misfits. And that eventually came out. The line of Smith, Carlson, and Marcia So, which came together that first year, the Knights' top line for, uh, for a while, and then resurrected again uh, with each three of uh, the head coaches the Knights have had. They've all come back to those guys in Gerard Gallant, and then Pete DeBoer, and then Bruce Cassidy at different stages. Uh, but that misfit mentality is so important to the team because – even for Bruce Cassidy, you look at the starting lineup, Game 5, Stanley Cup Final. Mm -hmm. There are six original misfits on the roster. You can only put five in a starting lineup. But all of those five were original Golden Knights, the misfits from year one. People in Las Vegas, many are from not Las Vegas, including myself. People <laughs> go there for an opportunity, like myself, and look for a new start. And in, in some way, shape, or form, they're leaving something else behind. They, it didn't work out elsewhere. And that mentality for the players, a, a lot of people in Las Vegas, I think, have that same belief. Vegas born was something that the organization has trumpeted, that the organization didn't relocate from elsewhere. There's no prior history. They started in Vegas. The community fell in love with them. There was the awful tragedy on October 1st, the 58 lives that were lost and the Golden Knights team and the players were there to help heal the community before they ever played a regular season game. And then they have this incredible start and it helped heal that city. And that uh, has been a mutual love affair ever since. So the Vegas born misfit mentality started back then. And it continues now to see players who have really thrived. And it's a, a long winded answer to your great question, Matthew. But I think that that really is the identity of the Golden Knights. And each of the guys who've come, including the stars like Petrangelo, like Eichel, they have a need, a desire to understand that mentality so that they can embrace it and then be part of it themselves. I love that. I love that. Actually, to build off that, is the vibe the same? I think a lot of fans are curious to know, and I'm curious myself. Is the vibe the same as the first year you were there? I don't think it'll ever be the same. Okay. But... But I think that a lot of folks felt with Bruce Cassidy being in his first year with the Knights, there was a refresh that obviously the Knights as an organization thought was needed. And Bruce Cassidy had been to the finals and lost. They lost to St. Louis in Boston in 2019 to Petrangelo and Barbashev. So Bruce Cassidy was looking for that fresh start. I remember, and I spent a lot of the summer in Cape Cod in Massachusetts, so I know a lot of Boston fans. And fans were so upset, they, they thought they should have changed the general manager, not the coach. But uh, so, you know, Bruce Cassidy, who had grown up a Bruins fan in Ottawa, um, you know, he's in that same mode, that misfit mentality. They didn't want me? Fine, I'll go win a championship elsewhere. 
And he did. So I think that there was a feeling around the organization. There was uh, a refresh there and a back to the mentality of, uh, and I think that this was put really well by John Stevens, um, who, you know, been part of the Kings run flyers coach, et cetera, et cetera, just a great defensive coach. Uh, John Stevens has said, and I think it's a great way to sum everything up for a guy who understands that mentality, but is now coming from the outside in on the golden Knights roster. Everyone feels important. You've got your stars. You've got con Smythe winners. You've got original misfits. You've got new arrivals. Everyone feels important. I'm not sure that other teams in the NHL can say that. I mean, with no disrespect to guys who play for the Edmonton Oilers. Do you feel as important as Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl if you're there? I don't know. Maybe they've figured something out with with a new coach and they've had this great winning streak. But uh, I think that that goes back to your original question, Matthew, about the the identity of the team. And it's got to be a group. Um, There's that common bond where you were cast off by somebody else. But everyone does feel important. And I think Bruce Cassidy has helped instill that um, to get the most out of players. And I remember saying this a lot about John Cooper, who I mentioned uh, earlier had been in Syracuse and look at all the success he's had with that organization in Tampa. He knows how to push people's buttons. Today, Matthew might need a pat on the back. Steve, you might need a kick in the rear end. But tomorrow could be the other way around, right? John Mm -hmm. Cooper has those relationships with guys where he knows how to get the most out of them. It doesn't mean they're best friends. It doesn't mean that you've got to be buddy-buddy with everybody um, and, uh, you know, stroke their egos. But it does mean that you know how to get the most out of a guy and help him grow as a player and as a person. And uh, that's the neat thing. Jack Eichel and Bruce Cassidy, both, you know, Jack had already been with Vegas but was coming off the injury and hadn't really had a full season of um, preparation and training before he came in. Uh, last uh, last year with Bruce Cassidy. So they kind of shared that. They talked about that. Bruce has talked about how, um, you know, he said to Jack that summer before Bruce took the reins with Vegas, we're going to be lumped together. Let's figure it out. And boy, Jack has become, I think, uh, a, a Selkie candidate because now he's on the penalty kill. He is right there among the league leaders in takeaways. That was not Jack Eichel with the Buffalo Sabres. That's a direct result of Bruce Cassidy. And again, everyone feels important. Everybody's got to contribute. The stars are not up here. Everybody else is down here. Everybody's part of it. And and to your, your question, I, I think that that's uh, just such a big part of what has made this team go. And uh, that's that's something that if they can keep it up, um, you know, they they are still in this window where they should be competitive this year and going forward. Now, for the Rangers fan who don't follow the Knights like frequently, uh, who's hot right now for this Knights team that Ranger fans should really keep an eye on uh, coming into this matchup? I mentioned earlier Jonathan Marcheseau, who can be streaky. He's now the team lead in uh, in goals. I uh, mentioned Nick Wye. He's got five points in the last couple of games. Ivan Barbashev. So that line has been terrific. you got to watch out uh, for those three. The other guy I don't think I've met yet mentioned is Pavel Dorofiev. That's Pavel, easy enough. Dorofiev, <laughs> who's who's from Russia. His English is coming along, and uh, I asked him about uh, Ivan Barbashev. What makes Barbashev such a great, great guy to have on the team? And he said he speaks Russian. <laughs> uh, those those guys are great. Uh, you know, they really get along, and if they're they're fun uh, components in the room. Ivan's English is excellent. Uh, it's, in fact, it's better than a lot of uh, people whose native language is is English, grammatically speaking. Pavel's coming along, but he's hot. I, I, that's, I asked Ivan Barbashev about Pavel before the game against the Islanders the other day, and that's exactly what Barbashev said. He's hot, and he has found himself playing with Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. Who wouldn't want to play with those guys? But you've got to finish. You can have your chances, but this is the NHL. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's about production. And Pavel was, you know, often a healthy scratch. You know, the guys who have been in the lineup were guys who helped the team win a Stanley Cup. And then you have to wait for your opportunity, even if it means for sitting. Even though he hasn't done anything wrong, um, you know, Bruce Cassidy is loyal to the guys who helped him get there. So Pavel has now gotten the opportunity with a number of injured players. Can you seize the opportunity? And he is. And a lot of that is coming from, you know, attacking the net, being near the net, but also being responsibly, uh, being responsible on the defensive side of the ice. 
you're out there with one of the great defensive players in the game, uh, defensive forwards in the game in Mark Stone. And Mark seems to rub off on whatever, uh, whoever's on his line. And I think that Pavel is uh, definitely in that spot. I'll also throw in, I think, Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez, that D pair has um, in the last uh, week or so, uh, with the exception of the game against New Jersey when Vegas gave up six goals, uh, I think that that's uh, a key thing to, to keep an eye on. Those guys know that it's defense first and offense comes from it. The quick puck retrievals, they're so good supporting the goaltender. And the last guy I'll mention is the returning goaltender, Aiden Hill, who missed 25 games, tried to come back a couple of times, didn't work. And what do you know? Makes 40 saves on 42 shots against the Islanders is compact, he's big, lets the puck hit him. He can make a highlight save if he needs to, but his effectiveness is being compact, staying in the crease, and he looked against the Islanders like a guy who's been on a hot streak rather than a guy who hasn't played a full game since November. Now, Dan, I want to chime in here and ask, you're a North Jersey guy like us. Um, now that you're around here, is it pretty cool to be able to – come home and you mentioned how you would at the Meadowlands talk to the announcers. Is it cool the other night to be in that booth calling a hockey game? <laughs> I wish it was the Meadowlands, which has been gone now for 16 years. The Devils mm -hmm. moved to Newark in 2007. That's the the wistful nature of it, Matthew, where I, <laughs> I wish I could do a game in that building, even though it's still standing. Of course, the Devils haven't played there in, in 16 years, but to go to Madison Square Garden, that is special. It, even as a Devils fan growing up, there's no place like MSG. It is the world's most famous arena. When I was younger, Marv Albert was doing the Rangers on radio. Of course, now it's been Kenny Albert for, geez, almost 30 years. Boy, don't tell Kenny I rubbed in how old he is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, between Kenny and Sam Rosen and Marv Albert and I mentioned, um, you know, Doc Emmerich and Matt Lachlan on Devils Radio for a long time now. And, of course, Howie Rose has done the Islanders. And, you know, Brendan Burke is a friend of mine. We're contemporaries. And Chris King on Islanders Radio now. It's it's great to see a lot of the people. And I, I apologize. I'm sure I've just left somebody out. <laughs> but it's great because I've known a lot of these guys for a long time and looked up to um, so many of them for a long time. And that that's neat to um, to be in that position i'm grateful for for all of that we've been blessed with great play-by-play -play announcers in the new york area for many many decades back to the beginning of um, the broadcast play-by-play -play medium coming to existence and we'd be here all day if you wanted to talk about that so I, i'm uh, just delighted to have relationships with these folks and then to see them in person we only see the devils twice a year the islanders twice a year the rangers twice a year so um, I try to make the most of that and then, you know, see some friends and family. And, you know, it was neat. I, I was home for Christmas and got to bring home that Stanley Cup championship ring, which is unbelievable. And uh, I never really thought about that as someone who wanted to, you know, first play sports and then broadcast sports. The players and the coaches win a championship. I just talk about it. So I, I was... Uh, in disbelief when uh, they told me that, you know, yeah, you're getting the same ring as the players and the coaches. And, you know, that, uh, that was special, but it was even more special to then share that with family and friends, especially around uh, the holidays. And uh, I know I'll get to show that ring to some folks here while we're, while we're in New York and New Jersey. And then, you know, I, I talked earlier about uh, Duva, uh, my last name, D apostrophe, capital uva and my my grandfather would come over from italy and it's got the apostrophe on that stanley cup ring it was <laughs> that's awesome i love to hear that i i played travel hockey at montclair so uh more than nutley neck of the woods um mm -hmm. and i was curious to know you you bring that ring with you you get any what's your favorite pizza spot around there or restaurant oh boy Gee whiz. Uh, that's a tricky one. There's uh, Ray's Pizza in Nutley is always mm -hmm. a favorite. There is a pizza place in Nutley that no longer exists, but it was uh, uh, for anybody who grew up in Nutley, if you would know, um, you know, Kingsland Avenue, the old Hoffman LaRoche factory. And I went to Spring Garden Elementary School and there was a place called New York Pizza. There was a place called the Corner Deli. And 
you know, you'd walk to school, walk to the pizza spot, and we'd get pizza there every Friday. And uh, my dad, I, I think, single-handedly put them out of business because they refused to accept one of his coupons. If he collected 10 coupons, you got a, a free pie, and they refused to take one of them for some reason. And uh, my dad was uh, influential, I think, in the Nutley American Little League back then. Uh, you know, they, uh, they changed hands. That place was, was gone within a year. <laughs> uh, they make great pizza, though. Uh, it's it's uh, it's I could I'd be here all day talking about food here in uh, in North Jersey. But, yeah, I, I, the one that comes to mind is probably Ray's and Nutley. That would be the first one at the top of mind. Well, Dan, I really appreciate that you came on to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, listen, I may see you at the uh, the garden on Friday. I'll be there for sure. And um, look forward. I'm right under the away boot. So I will likely hear your voice right behind me while I'm on press row there. Well, I'll um, try not to screw up then. Now, listen, with the way you spoke on here, you'll be you'll be in a good spot um, with the apostrophes in the right places and all. Um, and, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate that you hopped on in uh, such short time notice. Oh, I, I appreciate it so much, guys. It's wonderful to talk about hockey. You guys are passionate for it. Keep it up. It makes the game strong. And um, it's always fun to uh, to be in a conversation with people who love the sport, love talking the sport, uh, as much as those of us uh, who have been around it for a long, long time. So keep it up. Thank you very much for joining us again. Local person. So it's always great, you know, that we can resemble on that. And this will wrap us up here on this episode of Puck Talk CS. Follow us along on our Instagram at Puck Talk CS. Our website as well. You can find all our content. We listen to this fantastic episode. Always remember, it's just the luck of the puck.